Hello, this is Anna Bogutska. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is The Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. And we are back, and we are starting Freak Show. We're doing the first episode of the fourth season. Strap yourselves in, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much dread in your voice in that intro. <laughs> Look, every season is a journey to Mordor and back in emotional terms. <laughs> we we got to go drop the ring. <laughs> In the big furnace of feels and emotions. <laughs> big furnace of feels. And then Gandalf will come, Ryan Murphy will come pick us up on his eagles. <laughs> Bring us back. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. Wait, oh my god, this is 50 seconds in and I've already <laughs> lost absolutely any idea of what we're supposed to be talking about. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just warned everybody. I'm very tired today, so it's going to be. Extra chaos. Well, we we shall maintain the balance of eloquence, chaos, and feels. And feels. And feels. So Freak Show premiered in October 2014, and as per the previous seasons also ran for 13 episodes. We're going to be covering all of them individually, and then we'll do our <laughs> customary Freak Show Awards at the end of that. We already found a sponsor. Very excited. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Should I run down the cast list? Yes. Okay, so we've got Sarah Paulson, Jessica Lang, Evan Peters, Kathy Bates, Francis Conroy, Dennis O'Hare, Emma Roberts, and introducing some newbies who we will all grow to love <laughs> in our own time, Finn Whitrock, John Carroll Lynch, and Wes Bentley. This was mainly about Finn Whitrock, but I wanted to, you know, dilute the enthusiasm a little bit with John Carroll Lynch and Wes Bentley. It's mainly about Finn Whitrock. Yeah, we're very excited that Finn Whitrock's here. It's would... been great in every episode. I'd just like to apologize in advance for all the things that we're going to say. I don't know what they're going to be, but there will be some things. And I just want to, you know, not dehumanize Mr. Whitrock and not... He's a very fine actor... And we appreciate his talents very much. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> this is our apology if he happens to be listening. <laughs> what is it, the meme? We are looking respectfully. <laughs> yes, we are appreciating from a distance. I just like to emphasize the distance. <laughs> <laughs> this well because it's a pandemic we gotta say six feet very apart true very true for his safety and our own mostly his so <laughs> <laughs> so in today's episode titled monsters among us was actually written by show co-creators ryan murphy and brad Fulchuk and directed by ryan murphy himself 
this is uh it's not that usual that it happens i don't think he directed an episode since murder house yeah he's just mm. been looking respectfully from afar <laughs> saying, well, hey how can we make it weirder and hornier come on guys well i tell you how <laughs> <laughs> freak, show. freak show you said it at a traveling free like in a traveling circus from the 1950s that's how so before we go into all the things that happen in this episode what do you remember freak show like what is is it is it one of your one of your top seasons yeah this this and the season that comes after are the ones that i have rewatched pretty obsessively <laughs> <laughs> the others I've seen maybe a handful of times, like a couple of times, but these are the ones that I just, I always have on in the background while I'm doing stuff because, I don't know, I was trying to think about what the actual difference and what the actual change is. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of is that the the focus of the plot moves a little bit away from this idea of the the shock of like let's be outraged like the stuff that happens in this season that is sort of like oh shocking but i feel like it does shift slightly away from that and towards investing time into the characters mm -hmm. and the relationships between them and so these two seasons kind of play out a little bit more like a like a, a soap i guess <laughs> Like it's yeah, it's soap mm -hmm. opera, but it just has a sort of like American horror story themed uh flavor to it. Which I really enjoy. Because mm -hmm. it's just I, I like getting really invested. I'm very invested in all the characters in this season. I care about them deeply. Oh, well that's gonna be great for the next thirteen <laughs> hours of us talking about it. I have to admit, I've seen I loved freak show and i remember being a big defender of it because i think since from again memory from watching and loving coven at that time and people that's when people started falling off the ahs wagon kind of in 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 the mainstream i guess or just the people that surrounded me at that time and i remember freak show is the one that really killed off that interest and i have revisited it i think once since it originally aired but it's probably one of those seasons that i haven't dipped into as much as hotel and um and coven yeah because it's definitely i mean it's not scary this season and it never tries to be <laughs> well i mean i don't know it depends whether you find clown scary or not i find clown scary as shit so it was terrifying for me in that regard oh that's true maybe the clown is scary <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he is yeah okay i'm sorry I that point. <laughs> no but i'm I'm sure we'll talk a lot about the clown afterwards oh that will be clown chat don't oh, worry <laughs> i don't want it i don't I'm want sorry. it sorry <laughs> so before we dig into the episode shall we talk about the new credits yes i love these credits me too I know all the credits are kind of themed around the, the theme of the season, but I found these ones, like, particularly creepy. It's like um, the American Horror Story version of in Toy Story when they go oh. into Sid's bedroom. And there's, like, all the... 
the the toys because it's like I mean that's the 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 theme of the title credits. It's it's all toys. Um, but they all just kind of remind me of the the toys in Sid's bedroom. But I think that's like thematically important because don't all the toys in Sid's bedroom turn out to be like really nice and chill? Yes, but thematically, it's I think that's an amazing connection. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. all Toy Story, baby. <laughs> but I did genuinely just recoil into the depths of my soul and just kind of give gave myself a little hug because I just did not want to think about that scene because <laughs> it was so scary. <laughs> when I first saw Toy Story, and evil toys are um, and not a phobia because they don't exist. Well, arguably they don't exist. I don't know. I had a pretty aggressive phobia. <laughs> <laughs> but, some weird stuff what did it do sorry digression number one what did the evil furby do screaming like by itself like, no but you'd go near it and you'd be like Meh! <laughs> <laughs> i didn't do anything furby <laughs> what did you do to what what happened with it nothing Just, oh I don't. I just did it. I just. It was just a normal Furby, and you like you put its your finger in its mouth because that was feeding the Furby, uh-huh. and it would go yum yum. <laughs> I genuinely am asking because I never had a Furby, so I didn't know what you like actually do with them. You pick it up, <laughs> you turn it upside down, and it goes. Wee! <laughs> okay, so no, no. Okay, so you're you had an evil one. Um, yeah, I like. I really, really found them just eerie in that sort of thing where they, you kind of kind of had the music, the the new version of the theme tune as well, kind of had that not circusy theme, but kind of like the music that would come out of a, a children's toy box or like a music box, but mm. creepy, kind of with a creepy edge, and it's all kind of stop motion animation, and there's something jittery and weird about not just the design of the toys but the placements of them there is a few that were just kind of you know regular looking enough that you don't focus on how they're made how they're creepified until suddenly you see it and then it's like oh i don't want it (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they're all kind of like i i What's clever is that they always seem to be slightly moving forward. So it's like they're always moving at you out of the shadows. I don't want it. I'm going (laughs) to be skipping these credits. I was looking into kind of because I thought it might have been designed by someone else. But it's all the same dude. It's all Kyle Cooper who has designed all of the American Horror Story credits. Because it, it mainly reminded me a lot of the work of this animator director called Sofia Carrillo, who also did kind of the, I don't know if you've seen this horror anthology called XX. Yes. Yeah. So you remember the, the connective animations between all of the, the individual short films? Oh, yeah. It kind of had this, the vibe of these, uh, of these credits, didn't it? Yeah. But it's not it's not her, presumably, no. No, it's not her connection. No, no connection. But that's the first her work was the first thing that I thought about when I saw these yesterday. That's interesting. Anyway, people should discover her work also. XX is really good, I thought. 
to get properly into the episode, this is a a longer one. It's over an hour, and it's a full movie. It's a full right? movie. It's ninety yeah. minutes. Yeah. As with all first episodes of a new American Horror Story season, it pretty much needs to set up every single character and tease the dynamics that are going to evolve between them. So who do we have? Who are going to be our protagonists for this series? Um, well, Who do we start with? Ah! <laughs> Should we start with uh, Bet and Dot Tatler? Because it's Sarah Paulson. Yeah, and they're the first people that we see because mm-hmm. it's that voiceover. Dear diary, it was a Saturday, the third of September, <laughs> <laughs> which is two days before my birthday. Which is I always love that scene. <laughs> uh, Bet and Dot Tatler are both played by Sarah Paulson. They're conjoined mm-hmm. twins, and they're found at the scene of well in a house where their mother has been murdered and they're recruited by Elsa Mars who's Jessica Lange's character to be in her traveling circus show Fraulein Elsa's Cabinet of Curiosities It's not really a cabinet though No it isn't <laughs> Let's let's I mean because it's the title of the thing and I I don't know how much we want to use the term freak show but it's it's what it is it's yeah, how and, it, it's how it's built, and it was you know what it would be called in 1952, which is when the the season takes place. Yeah, roundabout right way. What do we think of Bet and Dot and Elsa? Because it's through them that we get introduced to Fraulein Elsa's cabinet of curiosities. Yeah, what I found really interesting about this opening is like the the hold off on the reveal that it's two Sarah Paulsons <laughs> because the camera first you just see you see one Sarah Paulson and then you go into the hospital and the camera's like following um a gurney down the hallway and you see two feet mm. and it's like okay but then everyone's like freaking out a nurse comes out and throws up which is like a bit much <laughs> <laughs> um and and yeah, and everyone's like, oh, the horror, the horror. And so it's like this this lead up. And then and then you get Elsa coming into the, the hospital room, pulling back the curtain. And you go, oh, it's one Sarah Paulson. It's two Sarah Paulsons. <laughs> you got two Sarah Paulsons. <laughs> so like, I, I, yeah, I thought that was kind of a, just a clever, I don't know, mm. just a clever way to to reveal that character and to immediately set up this idea of how ostracized yeah people like her are um in in this period i mean still kind of today but especially in 1952 yeah the fact that she's fr- the the you know quote-unquote reveal of bed and dot being conjoined twins is kind of framed through the reactions of other people and through this through elsa mars like this over-the-top flamboyant sort of scout or MC of the circus. Um, I loved also the introduction of of her character into the frame because it's from the back and it's this amazing skunk print coat that she's wearing and this yes. sort of like <laughs> bag with a devil embroidered onto it. And it's just so outlandish in a really pastel 
really cookie cutter, like pure Americana setting, here comes in this flamboyant woman with a German accent. I like, I want Bet and Dot. You're amazing. You're a talent. And she's such a little suck up mm. <laughs> the whole time. Like, oh, you look like you look like Betty Grable and <laughs> um oh. Yeah. I mean But I guess that's a way of seducing people that Elsa knows have never been paid attention to in a positive way and never been never had their ass kissed in that way. Yeah, and it also immediately sets up who Bet and Dot are because mm. you see how quickly Bet falls for it because she's like the sweetie pie, mm-hmm. naive, innocent one. And you see Dot just, you know, frowning the whole mm-hmm. time <laughs> because but- she is us. She is us <laughs> watching it going, it's just Galang. Why are you trusting her? <laughs> Every other just Galang character has been up to some shady shit. So come on, guys. What do you think of the special effects with um with Bet and Dot? I mean, I guess like you know, it's not that convincing, but for TV on a TV budget, mm-hmm. it's good enough. I feel like <laughs> I don't know, it's not, and I don't mean that in a harsh way. Like mm. I, I, I don't expect TV shows to have you know Marvel level perfect. I feel like even a Marvel movie it probably. Yeah, I I was actually surprised. I was bracing myself for the effects to have aged really poorly, but actually I didn't find them distracting. I think is the the best way I can describe it is that it I was never that focused on how it looked when Bet and Dot were on screen. And I mean again, Sarah Paulson can just do whatever can she, but I did I found <laughs> the kind of the the very extreme framing of just bet and dot or dot as individuals much more distracting than I did seeing them together on screen and seeing the the special effects on full on full display. Oh, like the split screen stuff you found? Not the split screen stuff, because you know I love a split screen, but more the the very kind of um I don't know what the technical term is, but when Murphy is kind of framing them, so it's just either bet or dot and he does it so that the close-up is very harshly cut off at their neck and kind of at the side of her really kind of close to her face to the edge of the frame and then there's a lot of air on the other side right so he switches between like bet and dot so there's either a lot of air on the right side or a lot of air on the on the left side depending on who he's who's in the shot and i found that a lot more distracting uh than i did the effects yeah, because it's more, it kind of makes it obvious that Sarah Paulson's just, like, yeah, leaning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I get that. That's fair. Yeah, I, I kind of maybe agree. So who else do we get? We, we also... probably, sorry, we should uh-huh. probably also mention very quickly, within that hospital scene, we get introduced to grace gummer's character yes we do new to american horror story who is baby streep yes yeah she's Meryl streep's daughter yeah she is (laughs) she is um and 
pretty good. I I could see that her mother's Meryl Streep. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, we'll see. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't. We'll get back to her character because she gets. She gets sucked into the circus world of Elsa Mars. Yeah, but they they kind of have a, an early interaction mm. where you can tell that she's a bit of a she's a bad girl. She wants to get out of town. Yeah, she wants the, to party. Yeah, and I she's love wearing the- lipstick in hospital. Oh, the audacity! But also, I love the fact that uh, Jessica Lang uh, Elsa Mars calls her my peppermint angel. Oh yeah, because <laughs> I guess because of the little pinstripe uniform. Yeah, right? yeah, I love that. that's cute. It's very cute. Wish someone would call me a peppermint angel. Oh, me too. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we also meet Jimmy, played by Jimmy Darling, played by our fave Evan Peters, and his mother Ethel, played by Kathy Bates. What do you, what do you make of? Well, shall we discuss the way that Jimmy is introduced into the show? Yes. Well, wait, because the first scene is the diner, right? And he's dressed like like Marlon Brando in the Wild Wild. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say that. (laughs) He's got the leather cap. He's got the leather gloves. He talks. He's flirting with the waitress. He calls her Toots. Toots. Yes. <laughs> but that's but that's yeah. not the real introduction, though. No, no, because then we see him again, and we're at a Tupperware party, and the ladies they're selling Tupperware to each other, but they're also doing something else. <laughs> they're going. <laughs> Into the the board. Do you want to explain it? It's a wanking party. Because hey! hey! <laughs> female masturbation is illegal in the fifties. <laughs> <laughs> so they they have a Tupperware party where they talk about hair and Tupperwares, and also they hire Jimmy Darling to to wank them off. Yes, because I guess we should mention that he. So his thing is his. I guess his fingers are fused together and elongated. I don't know if there's a medical term for that. There but. is actually a medical oh. term for that. So Jimmy Darling is uh based on a real life quote unquote lobster boy uh called Grady Styles, Grady Styles Jr., who was actually a a performer. But it's a it's a condition. It's it's called I might be mispronouncing this. Ectrodactyly hands, or commonly known as the lobster claw syndrome. Basically, your thing when someone is born and their fingers are fused together, and that that's what it is. So Evan Peters here is wearing prosthetics that basically make his hands look slightly bigger than they are, probably. Mm. I haven't seen his hands in person. I don't know. But like they look quite a bigger and several of his fingers are fused together. So he's got a thumb and his forefinger and middle finger are fused together and his pinky finger and his ring finger are fused together on both hands. Which I guess makes for the perfect... You try to like... (laughs) 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 Makes for the... The perfect finger for fingering. Thank you. 
The perfect <laughs> finger for fingering. Because <laughs> I was going to say the word dildo. I was like, but that's not what dildos are. So I guess. Yeah. Okay. So I have a funny thing about this scene. I knew somebody who, because of this scene, mm-hmm. believed that all Tupperware parties were wanking parties. Oh. Did not think that Tupperware parties were real, <laughs> but they were purely like a cover up so women could go more masturbate together. <laughs> Which I mean, maybe that happened, but I do believe that actual Tupperware party <laughs> Tupperware parties were real, and women did gather to sell each other Tupperware. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure they were real. I also, I mean, there was something quite tragic about kind of women having to meet up together to masturbate. It's like, just, I mean, you know, this is my answer for everything. Just do it yourself. But yeah, which I, this is why I'm like, I I think this is like a bit of a fantasy because I, mm. I, I don't know. I did remember Googling this to be like, Tupperware party is actually wanky parties. <laughs> And it doesn't seem to be any evidence that, like, this was some big trend in the 50s. Because, like, you know, you could just go in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> like, honey, I'm just going to go in the bath, you know. It, I don't think it was that hard in the 50s to have the privacy for masturbation. I don't... No, but I think there is something outside of, again, just finding the nuggets of meaning in a, in this show, right? I think there is something quite interesting, perhaps not the, the ambition of the scene, but this is what I took from it. And aside from the image of... <laughs> Evan Peters just laying like Burt Reynolds in a in a Playgirl spreadsheet on the <laughs> bed, like, "Hey, <laughs> how are you doing?" <laughs> Aside from that, like image, which seems like a very Playgirlish type spread, I really like the fact that I think the point of that scene and the point of those, the idea behind those kind of wanking Tupperware parties, is that regardless of whether these women could just do it themselves or whether they're in happy marriages or like sexually fulfilling relationships or marriages it's the idea that i think the snippets of conversation we hear from them before we see what what's really happening is that their husbands don't give a fuck whether they are sexually fulfilled so mm-hmm. this this is like a secret coven of women who are like, oh, you know, there's this thing that exists called orgasms. I know a guy from the circus who will give you one and not ask for anything. I mean, you'll pay him, but you know what I mean? Like, it's this idea of A, women accessing sex workers as well, and B, Jimmy just fundamentally like being there to perform a service, but also prioritizing female pleasure. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I think it seems like he he likes doing it. Like he be he fine because it, it's the like in that moment, I think he isn't being ostracized. Like for once mm. in his life, you know, yeah, people are being thankful to him. Yeah, and so I and you know, and also he gets to give ladies orgasms, which is great. So. <laughs> Top marks for Jimmy. Top marks for Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) And we also then meet his mother, Ethel, who's played by Kathy Bates. Her character is the bearded lady. Bearded lady with a very heavy Baltimore accent. Oh my god. (laughs) It is in 
tense. <laughs> it is so much. <laughs> it's like it's really distracting sometimes. It really is. <laughs> You're not to make fun of the Baltimore accent, but like this is a very intense version of it. I just I Clarice. Is it a good accent? Because you know I can't tell. I don't know, because, like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, it's not a super common accent, I feel like. Mm. So that's why it's quite hard to tell. Um, I've never been to Baltimore, so I I don't have, like, many real-life comparisons for it. But it, I mean... She's consistent with it. That's the thing. It's a mm. consistent accent. She's not dropping in and out of it. No. It's just strong. It's very strong. It does take some getting used to. And mm. I did read when I was um diving into videos and articles about this series, I I read that Kathy Bates, because it's such a hard accent to slip into and maintain, she would keep that accent on in between takes. So can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but it is. <laughs> We're just trying to have a serious conversation with her. <laughs> oh, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that at some point, as we talk about the season, you will gonna accidentally slip into a Baltimore accent as well. I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> That's the thing I'd be where I can't make fun of it because it's it's hard. And this is the thing, props to Kathy Bates because it's very mm-hmm. hard to do. <laughs> it's just so, also a lot. <laughs> shall we talk about Twisty, the killer clown? Yes. <laughs> so how so what do you think about the way that Twisty is introduced into the show? Well, I like. I don't know if we want to save this for later, but it's mm. paying homage to. Well, it's it's both an insensitive historical reference and a film homage at the same time. Oh yeah, take your pick. It's a double whammy. <laughs> it's a double whammy. <laughs> so I, yeah, I kind of find it hard to separate it from just being like, oh, it's that thing. Okay. Um, maybe let's not talk about that because I, I can guess you can probably want to talk about it later on, but. What let's talk about the design of Twisty. Okay, the thing that gets me about Twisty in this entire season mm-hmm. is that he obviously looks like a murderer and it always takes people like five minutes to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally bleeding from the head because he's wearing the scalp of another person. I what's not clicking <laughs> people <laughs> Every time he walks up to somebody, they're like Oh, a clown! How delightful! No, no, people, no. Like he looks like he looks like fucking walking murder. Not even like a murderer. He looks like a murder just happened to him, and also perpetrated by him. Like I don't know how to describe it. It's just every single idea of like a clown. Like clowns are already inherently creepy. I find. Mm, yes, but if you take any cloud creepiness and just dial it up to like 24 and then roll it around in mud and shit and blood and then throw it out onto onto the street that's that's twisty's attire so i see what you're saying i would think it's the fact that when he walks so he walks up to this couple they're just out in nature 
And the woman's like, where's the rest of, rest of your mask? Like, that's the question she has about this. Really? It's not the, it's not the scalp on my head, The lady? blood dripping down his forehead. <laughs> it's not the, like, j- jaw that I ripped off of someone and painted over and put it on my face. <laughs> She's just like, oh, this clown is only wearing half a mask. How unusual. I'm so used to full mask clowns in my neck of town. Also, he must smell. He must smell of death. Like, Twisty has not washed his scalp hat or jaw mask or his <laughs> whole, like, outfit. Clearly, like, at least a month. I, I find him really distressing. Like, the people in this show are not smart. No. <laughs> but I, like, fucking props to the design of Twisty, I find, because they just really took the killer clown vibes and just just dial it way up yeah and i think that's really hard to do considering you already have um pennywise yeah like i what i find really interesting about twisty the clown Mm -hmm. is that he's kind of had a life of his own outside of the show and i always see him on like i don't know like merchandise and Mm -hmm. horror related things and he really has he has kind of become a horror icon of yeah, his own, I think arguably you just see him all the time, and he'll be next to Pennywise, but he's really distinct. Um, and that yeah, that is like really really good costume design work. Absolutely, and I think it's also. I mean, I I think John Carroll Lynch is a really fantastic actor, and he's like one of those. And I know I I can I can hear through the airwaves what you're thinking about, <laughs> and we'll come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> but um. I think it's also playing on his trajectory of playing quite vicious uh, killers in film, not just the one that we're thinking about. Uh, and and this like this will come up, and as we see more of him, but I think it's also even though we don't see much of his face, his like figure. He's quite a large man. He's got like quite a big mass about him, so he's the way that he plays with his body and with the outfit of the clown um is really i think tapping into some bigger cultural fears that work really really well for this in my opinion Mm, i think what's so smart about him as an actor is as you said with the way that he plays with his body because like he's so he can flip on a switch between doing the murderer (laughs) like being terrifying murderer thing mm. and then with one little shift of his body oh he's dad and like you want to hug him and he's great and wonderful and yeah you know i really admire actors who can who can completely like reshape their energy because it's not just about yes. like what you say and what you do it's about the energy that comes off of you and, and you know not that many actors can do this like just completely go from one extreme to the other like you really have to admire people who do that Oh, 100% agree with you there. And um, just just on a note of killer clowns, because I do find it really interesting because it kind of, se- I don't know, it seems a little bit like it's always been there, this idea that clowns are creepy or this particular phobia of killer clowns. But we we might talk about this later, but it did kind of really kick into gear with John Wayne Gacy. And I'm sure we'll bring him up, but famously he is the 
the serial killer who used to moonlight as a clown and would have well he was a clown who moonlighted as a serial killer right <laughs> well no he was a contractor um and one of his other gigs was as a as a clown for children's Wait, party <laughs> i thought you were like he was a serial killer his side gig was that he was a clown <laughs> I'm sorry. He was. Oh, uh, this is the, this is when I get blocked. I can't. Was it with you that? <laughs> oh, I think there was a thing on Twitter about someone being like, "Oh, I have so much serial killer knowledge." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay," because when I talk about it, I just get blocked <laughs> or unmatched on dating apps. But I, it's good to know because, like, then if you see one and out in the wild, you'll know immediately. Unlike the people in this episode. Who did not figure out that the clown <laughs> was a killer clown until but it was way too late. My my long-winded point was actually to recommend a, an episode of a podcast that I love called You're Wrong About, where they have a, a special episode on killer clowns and where that that cultural notion of clowns being creepy came from. Because they went from essentially oh. in this era... Being, which I think kind of makes sense, right? Because the idea of a clown being a threatening figure, even though he's covered in blood and wearing a human scalp, was still not embedded in people. Like clowns are still, a, the visuals of them even are friendly and welcoming. And that really started changing with John Wayne Gacy. But obviously this show is operating on the, on the idea that we all know that clowns are kind of weird and creepy because we have the idea of John Wayne Gacy and Pennywise and so many other like murder clowns in our cultural consciousness. Mm. But in the fifties, it kind of makes, I guess, I mean, she's not the smart, they're not the smartest people in the world, <laughs> but again, the idea of a clown hiding a, a, a threat is still not as embedded. This is true. Although if Brad Pitt, was walking up to me wearing somebody else's scalp, I would still run in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's the scalp. Listen, I like <laughs> the amount of clowns were a really big, are still a really big thing in Russian culture. And my parents keep kept trying to show me clown shit when I was a kid. I was like, they're, oh, are you joking? Are you joking? I'd, I'd seen like 10 minutes of it at this point. So it's like, no, clowns are murderers. Why? Why is this? Why is this an industry that continues existing? I don't want it. Yeah, I don't, that, there might be something. I feel like Europe is way more chill with clowns. I feel like France still quite likes clowns for some reason. Isn't there like there's a big tradition of in France of like I guess mimes? Mime, yeah, yeah, mimes, yeah, but mimes different. I feel like that's slightly different to like straight yeah. up clown, squeaky nose. Yeah, the Russians still love the clowns, and I'm like, no, please retire all of them. No, this is not. This is the basis form of humor, and also they're they're fucking horrible. They work better in horror movies. Anyway, I'm sorry for anyone who does clowning. Gonna get a bunch of emails in from professional clowns. Oh no, oh no, this is this is my. We're all movie. listening to this podcast. So we're so excited for us to talk about freak show, and you've just come straight in saying that you hate all clowns. They're not funny. They're not funny. <laughs> Cancelled. <laughs> the hated clowns. I will die on this hill. I don't fucking put makeup all over my face badly, and then that's not humor. Anyway, okay, this is my Adam Levine moment. I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> and um, let's talk about so Twisty, as you rightly pointed out, kind of has evolved into becoming one of the most iconic villain figures killer figures of american horror story but then there's also 
another antagonist this season that gets introduced in this episode. Hey! Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mr. Dandy Mott. I mean, just Please, perfect. I mean, just, <laughs> I can't. Please talk me through <laughs> Dandy Mott's introduction and who he is. Well, he's played by Finn Wittrock. You probably already guessed that, everyone mm-hmm. listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the way he's introduced, well, the way he's introduced is he rocks up to the tent, right? And we see, what happened? first we discover that somebody's bought out the show, the entire show for the night. VIP guests in a nice car. And then in walks Frances Conroy in a very beautiful dress, like big silk poofy thing. And Finn Whitrock as Dandy Mart in some like it's just what really gets me is the hair, <laughs> the two little perfect curls right in front mm-hmm. of him, like he's like the lollipop boy. <laughs> just <laughs> looking like the most ridiculous, like I don't know, he works on Main Street in Disneyland vibe to his look, um. And then, so they come in and and watch the show, <laughs> and his face lights up with pure joy, and he brings up his little opera glasses that he presumably brought himself, and goes, "Freaks," and he's loving it. He's da, 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 da. He's loving it. I mean, I. <sighs> I hate him so much, but I love this performance equally as much. I think my favorite bit of that kind of really illustrates Dandy's character is when he goes, when he makes his mother s- switch seats so he can take her seat. Oh, yeah. And, and he he's like, it's warm. <laughs> Mommy warmed it for you. Oh, gross. Yeah, I think. That's the thing, like, what's so great about this performance is I think it calls back to a lot of other performances. I mean, I, I think immediately always mm. of uh, Christian Bale in mm. American Psycho, like, the sort of idea of male, you know, privilege, male wealth and all these things mm-hmm. and whiteness, like, just push the idea of, like, absolute... <laughs> psychotic parody mm-hmm. and that is the realm in which dandy mart you know and all these other performances live and i think he's sort of in constant communication with all of them and that's what makes it so great because it's really recognizable yes. yes and it's also because he is i mean he's a grown-ass man but he's also very childlike and very childish in his tantrums his way of standing as well i find like very grotesque because because he is a grown man who's essentially standing like a toddler and it's this dissonance between the way that he looks and how people around him look at him and how he speaks but also he's like trying to figure out the things that he wants to do he's like a serial killer in training he's like not quite found that thing that's going to scratch the itch no matter how much people are pandering to him and it's because he's such a ridiculous like weak flamboyant little man 
you kind of it kind of camouflages the real psychopathic threat threat that he is because everyone else is so terrible at recognizing it Mm -hmm. you know yeah and he's dressed in pastels and yeah with ridiculous barbershop quartet hair and it's like the the uh, the appealing face of like murder, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's this idea that you know that on the surface he's got all the things that make him you know blend in or quote unquote normal, right? Very big air quotes here. But he cannot really function. He can't function by himself. He can't function in society. He doesn't know how to live in his own skin. And he goes to this circus and watches these, you know, again, quote unquote, freaks who are much more comfortable in their own skin. They know who they are. They are being ostracized by society. They don't really have as much as as any of the options that he has. And yet, you know, that community and we haven't really spoken about the community that's very obviously exists between all of the all of the freaks in in Elsa's uh in Elsa's troop. But they're really they're friends. They're there for each other. They have each other's back and they and they work together and they protect each other. And no matter how many privileges Dandy and people like Dandy have, they they're not able he's not able to buy it and he's not able to join it either. Because he tries to do both. He tries to buy Bat and Dodd and then he tries to join the circus as well. Well, this is the thing. It's like, you know, what what the the performers at the freak show they, you know, they're so sick of being judged hmm. and being ostracized just from what they appear, and no one ever seeing the goodness of the character inside. Versus Dandy, who is kind of almost suffocated by the fact that everyone just assumes that he's a nice young gentleman because mm-hmm. of how he looks on the outside. But like <laughs> it's like he wants the world to recognize that he's a you know, a horrible murderous killer inside, but like he's getting frustrated mm. by that fact. He's like, God, why can't just people see this what I actually am? On the you know, like it's weird the way that they these two like all these characters mirror each other, mm-hmm. but it's sort of the opposite <laughs> way. It's like this set of people just want to be mm. seen for the goodness in their hearts, and Dandy wants to be seen for the badness in his heart. And everyone's frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> before before we move on to our categories, we should talk about well, two things. Uh one Elsa Morris's performance of Life on Mars. Yes. I mean, can we? <laughs> she comes on in the little rocket. <laughs> that suit, that makeup, and that cover rendition. <laughs> I love it. I just, it's so good. I have no words. It's that great sort of singing where, like, you know, she's not a singer. Mm. But, like, she shapes the singing so much around the character mm-hmm. that it's, it makes it works so well. Yes. Because <laughs> and- it's like, oh, this is how I would believe Elsa Mars would sing. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's it's not, 
you know, I'm I'm don't feel bad saying something negative about Jessica Lang, but she's not a like she's not a singer. She's not a singer. She's an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she puts into that performance is like we already know that there's obviously going to be some dark history to this character mm-hmm. because it's an American Horror Story, and you can already feel all that weight in the song, and that's good acting. It's good acting. And I think it's also just, I think it's actually really interestingly directed because we see the performance as I I understand Elsa sees it in her head. So there's an element, you know, she's not a singer, you're right, but she's a consummate performer. And that's the thing, like she is giving this performance to an imaginary audience, an audience that she believes she deserves. And that she wants to give them the best possible version of an Elsa Moore's performance. So this whole kind of musical sequence is shot in that way. It's flashy. It's beautiful, beautifully lit. It's like amazingly intense. And then you kind of pan to the audience and the audience is just dandy and Gloria Maud. <laughs> and it's kind of a letdown, but it's not a letdown because of the quality of the performance. It's just reality versus the 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 magic of the stage that's in Elsa's head. Mm, although one shot, you look into the audience and it's her dressed as a sad clown. Yes, <laughs> there's only two versions of clowning in this season. It's only killer clown or depressed clown. There's no in between. Depressed clown because none it's of them are funny. A, it's a bit of a weird shot. <laughs> it's just for one second, and you look and you kind of forget that it happened afterwards. Yeah. Shall we talk about the? There's two big things that happen uh, towards the end of the episode, and it's the fact that Jimmy and the rest of the troop kill a policeman. Yeah, not a great idea, but see where you're coming from. Yep. And also the very last shot of the episode of the film, of the film-sized episode, <laughs> is that, well, Elsa Mars is revealed to be a double amputee. Yes. I don't know how I feel about this now. Oh. What do you think of it? I kind of like it because it's it's adding this level of nuance to going back to this idea of what people see. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, I think this season plays a lot with ideas of of image versus truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, Elsa has, you know, she has something that she's able very easily to hide from the world. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's able to walk through the world with a certain level of privilege that the people who work for her don't have. But at the same time, like she is still how do I get the the fact that she's always having to hide it that comes with its own emotions, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they and I think you know, because she's doing it very secretly, privately. You know, she's taking off the the prosthetics, um, or I guess wooden, they're wooden legs. I don't know if you call that prosthetics, but mm. um, you know, it's like they, you can already tell, right? There's a certain amount of shame around that she mm-hmm. doesn't want people to know mm-hmm. that she's an amputee. Like, I don't know. I I think it's interesting. I think you're absolutely right. I love. I get the the idea of same as we were talking about Dandy Mod, like the whole you know. Who, the question of this whole series be is going to be who's the real freak and 
else us for watching it <laughs> sorry it's us for thirsting so much for Dandy Mart we're the freaks oh it's gonna get so bad I'm so sorry it's just I even put it in the notes just apologize apologize in advance about the extreme thirsting if you thought the Axeman shit was bad this is gonna get so much worse uh, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> um no, I think I think you're right, right. I think the thing that doesn't sit as well with me is I get the idea of Elsa Mars's own internal internalized shame that she needs to get over. Uh I get this this kind of idea of of hiding in plate side or or um you know, navigating the world with certain privileges that that her that her troop of performers don't have because of how they look. Um, the thing that kind of irked me in this scene is the fact that we end this episode on her kind of looking away wistfully and crying as it is revealed that she's a double amputee, that both of her legs are gone beneath the knee. And I'm a bit, I don't, is it shame because of her backstory that that's yet to be revealed? Is it because of shame? Like, I feel like the it's a little bit of like, oh no, oh no, she's a freak too, and it's a bit like that's it's not, it's not the, I don't know, it's like it's not the same because of this very idea of like you have the choice to hide, so to speak, mm. in plain sight, and I think there's an element of like, is this, I don't, there's I don't know how to articulate it, but there's something that I'm like, oh, mm, why, mm. is it? Because I think the one thing with this season, it's like, it doesn't differentiate how every person's experience is going to be different. Mm. Like, if there is something different about you that makes you stand out, like, you know, it's all clumped together in this idea of, like, the freaks and the not freaks, and you're either one or or, it's not this sort of, like, rainbow of experiences, you know, like, it's the thing with, like, Ethel, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I don't know, like, if she shaved every day, like, maybe she would be able to walk through mm-hmm. the world with a certain level of privilege, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not as simple as, like, she's a bearded lady, like, she's one of, it's all, it's all layered, like, she, I think she does maintain a certain level of privilege above her son, and the, the show never really explores that. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of clumps everybody together, (laughs) which I guess is a very, like, American horror story thing to do, to take, like, a very nuanced idea and just reduce it to the message of, (laughs) we're all freaks Mm. in our own way. Like, you know, it's, so I don't know if it, is it that? Because I agree with, that is my issue Mm -hmm. with how all these characters are presented. I guess we'll. I guess we'll have to keep watching and talking and find out. Oh, that's such a good tease! Oh. <laughs> Come back next week. <laughs> Is there anything that happens in the in the thrust of this episode that we haven't discussed that you wanted to talk about? No, I think like we actually managed to cover this incredibly long episode mm. quite thoroughly. Excellent. So, shall we move on to our categories and introduce? The new ones that we're going to be doing for Freak Show. (laughs) Uh, So do you want to talk about 
our new categories. <clears throat> so we have a few returning ones. Cinematic reference of the week. Mm-hmm. MVP of the episode. And mm-hmm. insensitive historical reference of the week are all returning. They are yes. Sarah Paulson's and Jessica Lang. <laughs> but for this season, we thought we would... Oh, and top quote as well. Sorry, I forgot to say that. Always. Um, but we are introducing three new categories. One which is the <laughs> the, the Boma Bona Award, uh, which is simply just a play on the fact that Matt Boma's name. Just, I'm sorry, it sounds a bit like boner if you say it too quickly. Um. And also, he's a very attractive man, so it all comes together, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's and it's an extremely thirsty season, so there's going to be a lot of horny moments. And yeah. To you know, throw back to one of the first, uh, one of the first things that we ever talked about, or one of the first episodes that we recorded, uh, it's the you know everything would be better with Matt Bomer in it. So it's it's a little homage to Mister Matt Bomer. Yeah. Hello, Matt Boma. Hope you're doing good. We love you. You're really you're an excellent <laughs> human being. You're awesome. So we're also having a category called Big Feels for Big Drama, which is basically just honoring the fact that which I guess is going back to what I, what I said about this season being mm-hmm. a lot of melodrama soap operaness. So that means characters will often have big speeches where it kind of just feels like each actor is delivering their little you know when it's the oscars and they're reading out the nominations and everyone gets a little clip of them crying (laughs) in whatever Mm -hmm. movie they're in this happens a lot in american horror story freak show so we're gonna pick the the biggest feels of the week that makes sense It's they're getting intensely more elaborate as the show will progress. So yes, yes. <laughs> and there's another one I think, which is which Sarah Paulson won because there's we've been gifted with two, and we're we're gonna make them fight each other, <laughs> like Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> Sarah Paulson's fight. <laughs> oh, we should have called. We should call this character um Paulson v Paulson. Paulson v Paulson. Let's do that. Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm renaming it Paulson v. Paulson. So let's jump straight into our categories. What is your top quote? So my top quote is when Elsa goes to the diner and when she leaves, the waitress asks her for the bill or gets her to pay. And she says, oh, darling, it's on the house. Does never pay. And she just walks out. <laughs> what the hell? I love it. That's that's a that's a big dick energy right there. Oh my god! I love her. I think mine is Gloria Mott. So Francis Conroy, when when Dandy makes her move one seat aside so he can sit in her seat, she just goes, "Mother made it toasty for you." Oh my god. And he gave me me shivers. (laughs) Oh, it's so creepy, but I love it. It's it's just so fucking weird. Uh. (laughs) It's such a great line. (laughs) So, what is is the top Bobo Boner moment in this episode? The thing that stood out to me in this, I'm not going to go for the 
the fingering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually going to go for the fact that Jimmy wings at Dot not one time, but twice. <laughs> and they've just met. And it just feels like, sir, can you calm down? <laughs> stop winking. <laughs> Never stop winking, sir. <laughs> I don't know. It's too much winking for me. <laughs> I love that. And the way that Dodd and Bet also smile to themselves because Bet also thinks it's for her. Oh. No. <laughs> I listen I am a basic human being I'm gonna go for the fingering scene because yeah, that's facts. what it's there for but I will specifically say not the scene itself there's there's two shots in particular that I really loved about it one of them is when the lady comes out of the room and her hair is just slightly disheveled and she's just like flushed and smiling and that's that's the face of a satisfied customer right there but also the shot of when jimmy's doing his thing we don't really it kind of cuts from the girl to his face and we just see his face smiling and it's just, just like having a great time he's just having a great time he's I'm like happy for him i'm so good at this <laughs> and you're like yes jimmy you are well done boy. well done good for you good for you yes and then <laughs> moving on to Big Feels for Big Drama, which is the official name of this category. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, okay. I insisted that it was this. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is the biggest feel for the biggest drama? I think it is the speech that Elsa gives where oh, she's talking yes. about my monsters, they are beautiful, they are the heroic ones. Yes. Because she's really going for it. Yes, I like that. I was... talked about housewives pinch with bitterness. I think like the this writing has suddenly changed dramatically in this season. Now it's all like I don't know. They're trying to go for a poetry award or something. Well, <laughs> I I will come out in defense of my good personal friend, future mentor Ryan Murphy. I don't know him. I don't know. I know this. I want to know him. Uh, <laughs> um i actually think that because he's such a big cinephile and such a big fan of movies from the the 40s and 50s i think he's really going for like an era style talk and particularly Mm. kind of those intense female heavy melodramas from the 40s but you know that's fair give it give it a little shush give it a a little murphy spin yeah no, that's true. And yeah, that speech feels very evocative mm. of the sort of, I don't know, you imagine that, that sort of <laughs> the 40s lighting where it just would have like completely lit her face up and her eyes would be twinkling. <laughs> <laughs> and what about in Paulson v. Paulson? Which Paulson won? Okay, so this one's kind of tricky because like... Dot, so Bet gets to be in this place she really wants to be, and she's talking about how it's like pink and wrapped in silk, and she's so excited to be at the freak show. But getting winked at by Emma Peters twice. 
Mm-hmm. I can't choose. <laughs> I don't know. Which wins? I'm gonna say Dot. Because okay. her because when when Jimmy winks at her, that bashful but still very restrained looking down and kind of smiling but not wanting anyone to notice that she noticed and that she's smiling i think it's just beautiful beautiful subtle performance yeah and two winks i mean as much as i hated it she really (laughs) loved it and okay so i'm gonna twist these around in order let's let's say who is the mvp of the episode and then we'll move into the references so who would you say is the MVP of the episode? Oh, I guess I guess Elsa, right? Because the whole the whole sort of whole, whole problem at the beginning of this episode is that the they can't get customers, they're getting no attention, and so she discovers this new act this very rich man comes and gives her all his attention. She gets to perform David Bowie. Yeah, I'm going to say Elsa. Hmm. Okay. How about you? I'm I'm going to say uh, Jimmy. Mainly because he does what he does really well. And he's living his best life and protecting his community by killing the police. I mean, I'm not justifying the murder, but I am saying that he reacts in a way that has the interests of of the wider group at heart rather than just his own. True. Although I just feel like that's just not going to be good in the future. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is not. Because someone's probably going to notice that the the (laughs) tech... Like, this is a small town. There's probably one detective and he just killed him and everyone's probably going to notice that. Yep. (laughs) I didn't say smart. I just said moral moral MVP. (laughs) He's trying. (laughs) Can't be good at everything, Jimmy. And okay, so you meant you alluded to this earlier, but what are the cinematic references of this week's episode? It's Zodiac. Yes, <laughs> that's the thing that we can talk about because we wanted to save it. Yes, it's um. So yeah, this is hard because it is both a reference to David Finch's Zodiac, but then David Finch's Zodiac is recreating the actual murder scene at Lake Berryessa. That the Zodiac killer committed, mm-hmm. and it was. Uh, should I do the story? Yeah, <laughs> if anyone doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, so it was the twenty seventh of September in nineteen sixty nine. Students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were picnicking on Lake Berryessa, and suddenly a guy walks up to them, and he's wearing a black executioner type hood and clip on sunglasses and a bib like device with a cross circle symbol. So, like, pretty obviously a murderer, but maybe less obviously than a clown with blood dripping <laughs> down his head. Um, but so he had a gun and claimed to be an escaped convent. And uh, at first, I think at first they they thought it was robbery, and and he tied them up and they were expecting him to just take their belongings and leave. But then he stabbed both of them, went to their car and drew that same symbol, the cross circle symbol, which is the zodiac killer's like self i don't know like some symbol he invented for himself 
and he also wrote dates and details in the car then went to a pay to a pay telephone and reported the crime and when they got there like they got to the telephone moments after he phoned and like there was still like a wet handprint on the phone that's how like it's kind of incredible that he still managed to escape them mm. and and so cecilia um sadly lapsed into a coma and died but brian hartnell survived and was able to continue to tell this story mm-hmm. so then that incident gets put on film in david finch's zodiac uh where the main suspect is played by john carol lynch connections many connections but yes anything else you want to add no that's beautiful that's beautifully explained (laughs) um yeah that's that that's the kind of the most obvious and also the least obvious reference uh there's a few other nods throughout the rest of the episode to other films like most notably gaslight from 1944 well this is the thing though Mm. she said the original gaslight just so the 1941? Yeah, is she referencing the 1940 British one that was like a I think that was a closer adaptation of the play and then they they remade it yeah. in America. To be honest, I would assume it would be the 1944 American version because that was the kind of the well, the one that would have gotten the wider distribution. Yeah, but why I did I make this up? I swore she said the original one and I was like, "Huh?" Huh? Does she mean the British? I think she might mean the play. Maybe. Another reference. I mean, this is more of a insensitive historical reference. Mm-hmm. She, She's going through um, a scrapbook of just bad reviews that Marlena Dietrich has got. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she men- mentions one that calls her box office poison. But that was actually a phrase used in an ad taken out by Harry Brandt, the president of like the Independent Theatre Association. Mm-hmm. And it's a really weird ad where he was just complaining that the actors were getting paid too much, <laughs> and that they were they were bad book box office draws. And mm-hmm. So he mentions a bunch of actors like Mae West and Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. But then after that, he also calls Marlena Dietrich box office poison. I mean, Elsa Morris's obsession with Marlena Dietrich is one of the funniest things of this season. <laughs> and it happens a lot throughout this uh, throughout this episode. And I mean, it, it makes sense. It tracks. And also any excuse to bring up Marlena, who was an amazing actress, performer and activist. Mm. And my favorite bit about that story about the ad is then Catherine Hepburn's reaction was, um, I'd be crying if I wasn't laughing. (laughs) 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 Oh, she's great. I mean, the amount of Hollywood rules or laws that were written and the, the kind of really petty industry origins of a lot of things that now guide really big decisions is hilarious and also really sad yeah but she got the last laugh right so in the next episode dandy goes on a play day with twisty how cute and two new performers join elsa's troupe we'll be back next wednesday with a recap of american horror story freak show in the meantime Send us your thoughts on Twitter. Follow us. Follow us at the Next Supremes Pod. 
Also, I'm on at Clarice Lou. And I am at Anna B. Demento. Goodbye. Again, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry in advance. <laughs> Je telephone à la police. <laughs> <laughs>